Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast around simplifying for success. Simplification requires discipline and clarity of thought. This is not often easy in today's rapid-paced work environment. We've invited a few colleagues in data and information governance space to share their strategies and approaches for simplification. Today, we'll be talking with Jake Fraser. Hello, Jake. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Uh, Happy to be here. You come from the consulting world, and you've been with FTI for many, many years. Would you like to kind of introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit more about your experience and uh, what you do? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, my current role at FTI, where I've been for, for quite some time, as you mentioned, um, I, I am a global practice lead of a practice called Information Governance, Privacy, and Security. So uh, we're a team of about 50 folks around the world Uh, really that work with corporations to solve problems wherever law and technology collide. So those, you know, nowadays are regulatory retention requirements, legal hold preservation, uh, privacy regulations, which there's no shortage of of new regulations to to wrangle with, and cybersecurity. Uh, So that's, that's my role. So today we're going to talk a little bit about challenges in implementing data minimization. First of all, um, what is data minimization and why do you uh, think it's difficult to implement? Yeah, so, you know, I'd say around 2000 or so, right when we saw e-discovery hit, the, there was a big case, uh, Zublake versus UBS Warburg, uh, that, that really shocked corporate, uh, the corporate world with regard to preserving data. And, um, and I'll get to a second, kind of the, the, my definition of data minimization, but I think it's important background to realize a lot of companies talk to their corporate counsel and said, okay, you know, you want us to preserve, well, we'll tell us what to preserve. And they would say, we don't really know yet. So just preserve everything. And so over the past, you know, 20 years or so, that's where a lot of corporations have found themselves in the kind of save everything mode. Um, the same with regulatory retention, people really, you know, couldn't quite figure that out. And they said, okay, let's just save everything. It seems the safer bet. So fast forward to GDPR, uh, the general data protection regulation passing just a couple of years ago, or be coming into effect just a couple of years ago. Uh, and that kind of turned everything on its head because in GDPR, there is this principle of data minimization. And the concept, you know, comes from this European privacy laws that say, look, you can't keep private data, somebody's private data for longer than what's called the purpose of use limitation. Uh, basically, if you've got you know, customer data uh, and that customer ceases being a customer for two years or something reasonable, there's an expectation that you'll uh, you know, achieve data minimization and not, not hoard all of that private data. Uh, so that's, that's really data minimization, kind of one, one aspect in the privacy laws. So if you're a brand new company that's starting business today, you know, pretty straightforward. You can read the laws, determine how, how you're going to retain data. And as you put uh, repositories or systems online, uh, you can kind of plumb in the retention. But if you're not a company that starts, you know, from scratch and you have 20, 30, 50 years uh, of history, there's a lot of legacy data and it's commingled. Some of it's offline. Uh, very difficult to go and precisely determine what to what to what to save and what not to to accomplish that data minimization. 
the good news is there's there's you know plenty of best practices to to do so, but it's it's definitely not easy. No, I agree, and I think um, like you said, I remember Zubalik very well, and at that time after Zubalik, it just created this fear of what if I don't preserve something. And so pretty much everything was about making sure your legal hold and is working well and you're keeping as much data as possible. Um, and then there's the other part too, which is the whole digital transformation and analytics. So I, I was talking to a chief data officer several episodes ago, and one of the things that he was pointing out was analytics is about asking questions. And so you can't predict all the questions that you want to ask to your data. So you kind of presume that, well, if I keep everything, then if a new question comes, I should be able to answer it. And also from a collection standpoint, you sort of say, I don't know how I'll use it. So I might as well collect as much as I can. So, you know, so together with the approach of collecting as much as I can without thinking about how much of it I'm going to use and keeping everything from an, for analytics as well as the idea of, from a regulatory perspective, fear of um, spoliation has meant that everybody has kept everything forever. So coming back to though, you said, yes, if you're, if you're an organization who is 10, 15, 20, 30, or 50 years old, you have old data. So is it just a matter of going back and dealing with legacy data or are there other fundamental challenges to data minimization that sort of makes it much more difficult to implement? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's a great question. Um, it's sort of kind of where do we start and what sequence do we go in, right? When we're looking at, um, at data minimization, I, you know, I'd say there's the first step, which is really kind of at a policy layer is to determine, okay, what regulations do we have that we need to, you know, make sure that we retain data. If you're a stockbroker, uh, you know, there are three and six year limitations, the SEC and FINRA, you know, place on you that you need to retain client communications just as kind of one example. Um, and so, you know, first is figuring out those retention policies. Second, as you mentioned, legal holds, that's where it gets a little bit more difficult. Uh, if you're a large company, you might have hundreds of matters that are ongoing in some stage of litigation or government investigations um, and determining exactly which custodians and which data sources to, to place, you know, that are subject to the legal hold uh, is very important. And, and that, that can be done, it's, you know, starts to get difficult. Uh, and then, you know, what, what about your business, right? You brought up the concept of chief data officer who, you know, oftentimes kind of represents the business's view of how can we monetize and, and leverage this information? So even if you don't legally need to keep it, it could be that the business wants to keep it uh, in order to, to leverage, right? In that last category, kind of business value, you know, sometimes it's interesting. We'll talk to business leaders that say, yeah, well, we want that data forever because we're, we're gonna mine it. We're gonna find patterns. You know, we're gonna, it's gonna help us figure out, you know, who buys our products and who we should sell to and so forth. And so oftentimes you can kind of accomplish both and say, okay, well, do you really need their social security number um, to determine who is buying which products? And like, no. Okay, great. Well, let's either remove that, you know, from the database or mask it or tokenize it. And there's lots of different approaches here, pseudonymization, anonymization, um, to make sure that social security number is not sitting there. And you can still use your data, but we've, we've minimized the risk. 
Um, so once you have those three you know, figured out, the regulatory retention, the legal holds and preservation, then you at least have you know, that central kind of brain of what is it that we need to keep? That's when you kind of go down to the data layer. Oftentimes, um, it's, you know, today's current tools, let's take Microsoft 365 as a repository. Um, it has, you know, some built-in capabilities for legal hold and for retention, uh, and that's great. The, the issue is you got to look a little deeper and say, well, do we have backup tapes that we have stored over the years, perhaps uh, in response to the preservation, you know, scares? Perhaps just no one knew any better and we sent, you know, quarterly foals to Iron Mountain every quarter for the past 20 years. And the problem is if you dispose of your data that you don't need to keep in Microsoft 365, but those same messages that you just disposed of are on the backup tapes, you've actually just kind of moved the problem uh, rather than solve it. So that begins kind of the analysis, I think, for data minimization. Is, is that what you're seeing or do you see a little bit different approach? So you brought up a number of things. Um, so I want to go to the first point that you talked about, which is your retention schedule. So mm -hmm. that itself, um, and then we'll come back to the data lake and then Office 365, because I just feel like there's too many yeah. um, uh, too many things in your conversation, right? So, um, but going back to the retention schedule, so typically the retention schedules were drafted to talk about how long you need to keep, not about when you need to delete. So. Um, you know, it's a new, when you turn it around and sort of say, okay, can I dispose it off? Um, it just becomes a completely new, uh, it, it's almost like you have to look at it from a perspective of, does it work? And the other is because it was focused around how long you need to keep, it was about regulatory requirements. Um, and oftentimes, especially when you combine it with privacy, um, at least what I find is that Typically, customer data, some parts of PII are part of intertwined with certain regulatory requirements, especially around employee data and things like that. But a lot of customer data that has PI, um, for example, are new sources of information, your new IoT data, your new AI data, your new, um, you know, new sources of information that may not be a, technically a record and they sort of fall under this. Um, so so you, you brought up this point about, do you need your social security number? So the deletion of single data points or PI sort of doesn't tie very naturally with the retention schedule. And also looking beyond records at your content itself um, mm -hmm. and, and being able to kind of say, you know, what kind of retentions I should apply also is a new topic. So have you found challenges in terms of getting, um, it's almost like you're reading the book differently and now some of it maybe should be rewritten. And we have an industry and sort of a method of doing it, which maybe is, uh, you know, well worked very well in the past, but needs to be tweaked and fundamentally revised and changed for the new, you know, for the new world. I don't know if that's the best way to explain it or or do you do you agree or do you don't or you see that too or what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, if you take, I kind of talked about the broker-dealer requirement from the SEC from a retention standpoint, and this was written a long time ago. So 
you know, it's been updated over the years with guidance and, and things like that. But I mean, for the most part, and this is where I'll give you my disclaimer, I'm an attorney, but I, you know, this is not meant to be legal advice or anything like that. That if you read the reg, the reg says, okay, you need to keep, you know, I'll paraphrase and I'll give you a quote. You need to keep, you know, all, all information that is client communications for three years. And when you look for the reg where to say, well, well, what does that count as? Like, what do you, what do you mean? It'll say, it says literally, you know, that pertains to your business as such. <laughs> so that's a case of a regulation that might make sense if you had paper and files and things like that. But if you're looking at a wiki in Microsoft 365, you know, that even let's say IT is running, does that have to do with your business as such as a broker dealer? Uh, don't know, right? So there's a lot of gray area from these new sort of data sources. So yeah, I mean, I do think it would be great if we could get them rewritten. We probably won't be able to. Um, and so, you know, that's where it becomes on, you know, folks folks like us and, and outside counsel to, to make the calls where there's a gray area. Yeah, and that is a good point, right? There are a lot of gray areas. And so working through them is important and it's an important step that takes time and effort. So assuming that, you know, we have a good retention schedule and know when to delete what, then, you know, you brought up some points around deletion itself. It's not easy to pull the trigger because you have, you have the fear of, of course, data integrity issues because these systems have been forever and, and removing something or tokenizing something, you have to do the impact analysis and due diligence, which means implementing that is an, again, a, a challenge in itself. But coming back to like, you do have newer technologies and now there's been a lot of new startups and options that come with it around privacy enhancing technologies, which will allow you to tokenize, anonymize, pseudonymize some of this information. So some people believe that it gives you a false sense of security that now it's anonymized. So you can once again, go back to the new normal which is you can keep as much as you want for as long as you want, because I might be able to kind of figure out how to use that data versus, you know, still looking at it from a data minimization standpoint. So do you think privacy enhancing technologies like that, that can anonymize sort of works counterproductive to data minimization, or do you think they are both tools that sort of support the same goal? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll give you the, the standard lawyer answer of, of it, dep <laughs> it depends. Um, I mean, you know, I will say that I have examples of, of clients where the business, uh, you know, gets data and gets some reports because they, you know, they, they want to see, you know, what's going on and what their customer base, you know, is using and liking and, and so forth. Uh, and I've seen where they get, you know, data that instead of a name, it's a scrambled up, you know, um, you know, MQ3 exclamation point, right? You know, just sort of gibberish. And it's very frustrating, right, for the business. So um, so on, that's on kind of one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum, you know, if a hacker gets into a system and you've got social security numbers, that's a, that's a big problem. Um, and so that's really that kind of balance, right, between data availability for the business and data minimization for the privacy regulations. You know, it, it's kind of interesting. We'll just go system by system typically and just say, okay, let's, okay, what, you know, what's in the system? 
is it a system where you know it's current and it really you know it has a lot of business value? Uh, does the historical data have business value, or is it stale? If it's stale, then oftentimes there's no problem, uh, you know, with applying disposal as long as that system can support it. You know, where you get, let's say, uh, oil companies, you know, upstream oil companies that have, uh, you know, databases of, you know, coordinates of various geological, you know, studies and surveys going back 100 years. Yeah, it's going to be tough to apply data minimization to that. It's pretty valuable data. Um, but fortunately, that data doesn't have a lot of private data. So, you know, you just kind of have to go in, in application by application, um, kind of a master data management approach. I mean, there's, you know, there's tools out there that, that certainly can help. Uh, it's really, I think, a little bit more of the people in the process, um, you know, to, that need to be added on top of the technology to make sure it's being used properly. So what about um, data is used for us to understand normal versus abnormal patterns, a typical user behavior, you know, um, how do you balance needs around fraud and, you know, bot activity and a bunch of other things that are sort of more security related as well as um, balance the requirements and needs to have data for that versus data minimization? Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting point. If you look at the, the SIM systems that are out there, um, you know, that are kind of collecting all the various alerts from, from threat vectors, right, this, in, in the security space. Um, it's interesting because getting data is typically not the problem. The, the problem often is that you'll get, you know, 100,000 alerts a day, right? So, you know, I think it is important to keep that uh, information in a sandbox so that you can do threat hunting, um, you know, proactively. And you need, a, you need a good data lake with, you know, going back for some amount of time so that you can spot those patterns because, you know, hackers and others will, will often take years, right, to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish. And you can miss it if you look for a very short, you know, period of, uh, of time, like a month or, or 60 days. Um, so, you know, that's another system, the SIM system, right, SIEM would be the system you look at and say, look for this one, we need to keep the data. Um, I'd say that most privacy laws do have a concept, you know, baked into them really around this idea of legitimate purpose, right? So let's say if you can say, look, we're keeping all this data. Sure, there's some private data in there, but we need it to be able to do threat hunting. You know, that's, that certainly sounds like a legitimate purpose. Uh, I think where the privacy laws are, are really focused is more, you know, where, yeah, we're keeping around all of our customer records for the last, you know, 25 years, not because we need them. We're just... We don't feel like tackling that problem and spending any money or paying attention to it. That's where that data minimization and the privacy regs, I think, is, is more focused. So going back to Office 365, our favorite topic. So obviously with COVID and us um, being more remote nowadays has accelerated adoption of Teams has accelerated adoption of Office 365 and other technologies. With it, we're also producing data in very, very large uh, amounts. Um, you know, uh, I was looking at some numbers on the growth of Teams users, and it was uh, staggering to see the growth in the last year alone. And that kind of also applies to Zoom and other applications. So, 
how does data minimization and data information governance policies and management of some of this data? So how do you think, you know, did our existing policies, do you see they've been adequate or have you seen clients go back and revisit them? What are some trends and as well as challenges that you see in this area? Um, yeah, you know, it, it certainly it takes up a lot of our of our time <laughs> these days. This is a, you know, Microsoft 365 has offered our corporate clients a lot of cost savings, a lot of efficiencies. It's certainly more functionality with regard to various information governance, you know, use cases like retention and security, uh, data leakage prevention, you know, legal hold, right? You name it. There's there's modules that do uh, a lot of you know really great things in Microsoft 365. To your point, I think you know the new um, the new sort of features and the new paradigm of, of work from home and hybrid work environments, you know, definitely accelerated Teams and Yammer and you know some of the other sources and even outside of Microsoft, you know, Box and Dropbox and Trello and Slack and, uh, and on and on. Um, and and you know the analogies that retention finally kind of got to be able to handle email don't really apply it to teams you know a lot of organizations that we've seen you know we've worked with them to implement retention in teams that's very different from email so email might be you know six months or two years if you declare a record or you know something like that um, teams has been in our experience treated a little bit more like an ephemeral data source um, and the policies you know read something like you know for teams that's meant for um, you know, more kind of, uh, you know, transitory information. It's not meant to be business records. And for at least the teams that is, you know, kind of one-to-one or one-to-many, uh, you know, chats, the retention might be five days um, and, and just sort of a rolling five days. And then you can see as a user that your, your, your conversation gets chopped off after, you know, so that's something kind of brand new, right? It's sort of a team specific uh, retention best practice that, that a lot of companies have, have adopted. And I think that's absolutely, um, you know, been been thrust upon corporates uh, because of COVID and because of the heavy reliance on Teams. And that really, like I said, applies to all sorts of other non-Microsoft sources as well. Uh, but Teams is perhaps where we see it most acutely. Yeah, I was also glad to notice that the default retention policy, if you don't um, set anything up on recordings, team, Teams recordings, Microsoft was recommending 60 days, which is kind of really good because... Yeah, as you said, there shouldn't be a need to keep data unless, you know, in extraneous circumstances where there is a, you know, something that needs to be preserved for the most part, this should be treated as uh, data that is kind of temporary that needs to just go away after a few days, um, for sure. Any other closing thoughts, maybe from a cultural perspective, technology perspective, any, anything else that, you know, from a overall data minimization, things that you have seen that are sort of positive as well as sort of challenges that we all need to address as an industry? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I really uh, see a lot of folks struggle with the concept of the right to be forgotten in the, in the privacy uh, regulations. And, you know, this sort of starts with the data subject, uh, you know, preparing an access request that says, hey, you know, what data do you have on me? Uh, bank that I used to use six years ago. Answering that question is already hard, right? None of the systems that were built uh, back then, or at least most of them, don't don't sort of have this notion of, hey, across our two thousand systems, where is customer, you know, number one, two, three? Where are their data? You know, 
That's, that's tough. And then should that data subject say, okay, well, I want you to erase it all. That gets real tough, right? Because especially, you know, databases under structured data applications, you know, oftentimes you can't just pluck data out in a table without causing some damage. Uh, and so, you know, that's kind of a, a tough one because it's, it's reactive to an individual or a group of individuals. Um, and if, if it's for those companies that have been around for a while, you know, oftentimes those applications don't really support those use cases. So um, that's a tough one. And, uh, you know, we've seen some best practices evolve. There's some technology that can help, um, but it does certainly take a cross-functional group across the organization, you know, the chief data officer, or chief technology officer, or CIO, you know, as well as privacy, compliance, you know, legal, HR sometimes, um, all to kind of work together and have a seat at the table. Each one of them, I think, has a unnecessary but not sufficient piece of the puzzle. So as long as they work together, the problems can be solved. But if there's any silos in the organization, you, you get, it gets pretty tough. No, you, you guys did this study with IAPP and, and uh, we refer to that data point all the time. And I think um, you mentioned um, the right to be forgotten or data deletion. And of course the building of the data map, which is near and dear to us is, uh, are two of the toughest things that um, organizations find um, you know, challenging to tackle and precisely for the reasons that you mentioned, right? Which is both of them requires a cross-functional alignment and um, cross-functional isn't very easy um, because we're not structured to do so. Um, it just, it just, it's it's something that you know is is fundamentally different from the way uh, everything else within the organization is structured. So, so for some reason, um, you know, the execution becomes tough because we we can't get everyone to align and working together. Uh, at least uh, that's that seems to be one of the things that. I notice as well. So, yeah, it is. It is nice to see when it comes together, though, because um, you know all those folks sitting around the table, their interests are all aligned. It might not seem like it, right? IT might think legal is making them keep everything. Legal might think IT is making them keep everything because IT can't provide search functionality across various sources, right? Um, but when you get them, uh, you know, everybody at the table you know, once you kind of do the marriage counseling, yeah, it, it, you start to see the crosstalk and it's, oh, you can, you, you have a tool that will be able to analyze, you know, for this, can I use that for e-discovery searches? Oh, you know, and then everybody, um, data minimization is something we see as a rallying cry for all of them. <laughs> it makes everyone's job uh, a little bit easier, save some money, um, you know, fewer systems to manage, uh, you know, really maintaining a pond for future fishermen to fish in, you know, is not something that's in the interest of, of really any of those stakeholders. So, you know, it's good to see podcasts like this that can help kind of get the word out and, and, and you know, get that collaboration across the table and get, get the folks to the table, you know, where good things can happen. So it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for your time. Great thoughts. And thank you for taking the time to participate in the podcast. All right. Thank you.